I shared with Second Service uh, the story this week about uh, Dorcas O'Reilly. Uh, at, at Second Service, I shared her story, but she passed away. Dorcas O'Reilly passed away this week. She is the inventor of the green bean casserole. True. And so there are a lot of tributes online and kind of a hero of church potlucks through the ages. And I was thinking, even that name just sounds like some lady at my church growing up, Dorcas O'Reilly. Sounds perfect. Um, but it reminded me of just old times and growing up and and there are peculiar things that happen at your church, and I think different movements, different tribes in the Christian family probably have different things. But one is the unique jargon of your church, of your heritage. And I mean, I was thinking Church of Christ, and, and maybe some of the other tribes use this language too, but guide, guard, and direct is one that I heard over and over in like opening prayers. God, guide, guard, and direct us. Can you guys think of something else that you heard over and over growing up that you kind of only heard at church? A ready recollection for the preacher, for the one bringing the word, a ready recollection. Hey, yeah, God help me have a good memory and, and think about that. But yeah, ready recollection. Never hear that anywhere else. Anything else? What's that? <laughs> blessed. Just a good church word. Yeah, yeah. Pray for all those we should pray for. Kind of redundant, but we know what, what's meant by that. How about... Um, what do they say when you have finished? And this is very old school. I don't hear this anymore. But what, what did you hear when you've taken the bread, you've taken the fruit of the vine, and between those and the contribution? Yes. In fact, two more words. And now, separate and apart. As if being separate is not enough, we want to make sure that the contribution is both separate and <laughs> apart. Um, any other golden oldies as far as uh, phrases you heard growing up. <laughs> I had ready recollection written down here too. That's a good one. One that I heard, and I don't take issue with any of those. I, this one though, I, I, get, I understand the sentiment, but I think tonight's story is going to take it on a little bit. One that I heard and typically this was an opening prayer sort of thing. It was something like, and it would be worded in different ways, but that we would leave the outside world behind or leave our worldly concerns and worries outside. Like, like that idea that we're coming into God's sanctuary, so let's leave all of that stuff that we worry about and that we struggle with um, that negative stuff, leave that outside so we can kind of come in. I think the idea was kind of come in with like a clean conscience and everything before God. And I don't think that's super biblical, by the way, because, and we're going to go to Hannah tonight in, in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Um, you know, when we worship God in spirit and truth, there's a, there's a wholeness there. There's a, we're bringing everything in there. There's a hold nothing back, spirit and truth, the complete worship. Um, I think it is an invitation to not only bring uh, your nicest Sunday best self, 
but to bring your real self into the presence of God, the, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I think there is an invitation to bring anxiety and sadness and struggle and disappointment and this week was terrible and to bring all of that with you when you come in and not leave that outside where it's not going to be touched by the Spirit of God. Um, I think you want to bring that in. Um, I think you want to bring in what's going on in your world, yeah? I think you want to bring in uh, how you feel, and maybe you even know these feelings aren't great. I'm not real proud of these, but this is what I'm feeling right now. And we saw that uh, this morning in some of the text with Mary and Martha, what they brought before the Lord. They were certainly bringing their worries and some disappointments before the Lord, and Hannah certainly does that tonight in Judges chapter 1. That's what we're going to do. I didn't know what to do, and John Scott, I've been talking to you for like three weeks now. What are we going to do on Sunday nights? And I had two or three ideas, and I let's just press on. We finished Ruth. Let's move. Let's just go to the next chapter. So we're going to be in, in 1 Samuel chapter 1 tonight, and Hannah is our opening act. Hannah and and Elkanah tonight. Um, she is a good example of this, a good example of someone that doesn't leave her junk and her pain and her struggle outside, but she very intentionally brings that inside the house of the Lord. Uh, she brings herself fully into the presence of God. And so in her case, everything, all of this that consumed her, the worry and the anxiety and the sadness in life was bound up in one thing, that is infertility. Infertility. She wanted more than anything to have a child, to be a mother. And to want to be a mother is to want something good. There's nothing wrong with that desire. And in her marriage to Elkanah, year after year passed by, and they were intimate in their marriage, and nothing happened. She didn't conceive. She never missed a period. She never had a tinge of morning sickness. Um, she never felt the joy of life growing in her womb. None of that. And then the story, it's even, even though... We may think some of you have been on this journey of infertility, and, and I think each story of infertility is different. And that's why I think we need to be careful, uh, even if that's been your story, to, to think you understand someone else's, because hers is different. She was infertile, and there was another woman, another wife of her husband, and the other one was not infertile. She gave Hannah's beloved husband children, Penina, no issues conceiving. And she enjoyed reminding Hannah of this. There were good things in Hannah's life. You know, no one's story is just all terrible. She had a husband who loved her very much. Uh, she had a faith in God. She was well provided for, as far as we can tell in the story. Um, and not only, not, not everyone has this, especially not a woman living in that time period. But sorrow flavored everything, everything. Even the good things had a tinge of sorrow mixed in because she wanted to be a mother. Now, I think a note before you get in and you could probably 
talk about this a long time. I'm not going to do that. But I just think it's just a note of caution about (laughs) what we choose to say and how we choose to act uh, with people who are in a long struggle like this. And probably less is more (laughs) when it comes to what we say and and even some of the actions we undertake. Uh, Phrases like, I know what you're going through. Eh, maybe you do a little bit. But it's a very lonely, individual sort of journey to be on. Um, God won't give you more than you can handle. Eh, probably not real helpful to say. I'm sure you'll get pregnant in God's perfect timing. How can you, I mean, how can you say that? How do you know uh, that? So it's just a, a word to be careful. And Elkanah, I, I say this because he's kind of an example of this. He is a good husband. He loves his wife. He wants to take care of Hannah, but he says and does some things that are not terribly sensitive in the story. Um, 1 Samuel chapter 1 verse, verse 8, he says, Hannah, why are you weeping? And he knows why she's weeping. Why are you weeping? Why won't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Not a helpful thing to say. I don't think that lifted her spirits. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, really, honey? Um, That's an effort to console me. Or there are those times he would medicate her with a double portion of food. She couldn't get pregnant, so he would give her twice the food that he gave his other wife. Like two helpings of spaghetti is going to help. I mean... It's nice that he cared. It's nice that he noticed. It's, but it wasn't helpful. Anyway, he did love her. And we love, we love each other in the body of Christ, but that doesn't mean we have a license to just say whatever pops in our minds, right? So be prudent. Listen, don't say too much. And don't pretend to understand if you have not walked the road that the other person is on. Now, some of us know the pain and the struggle firsthand of infertility. It's part of your struggle. Um, Others of us love people who are walking this road. uh, And so circumstances vary. But the constant companion, the constant theme is is sadness. Um, So we don't pretend to empathize. We care. We do sympathize. Uh, All of us carry burdens, but this one I think is a particularly heavy burden for a lot of ladies. Uh, so Penina, this other wife, there's two wives here, she loved to remind Hannah that, that she had no trouble getting pregnant, and she loved to kind of poke at that pain, and probably it's because, you know, if you want the full story, it's probably because she knew her husband loved Hannah more than he loved her, maybe just a little bit. And this week, of all weeks, I, I was thinking this is working through the text this week, you know, there are going to be lots of little trick-or-treaters knocking on people's doors and some of those doors that they will knock on will be people who are on this journey and so there are these just reminders along the way there's Mother's Day there's, there's just all these reminders right and not every infertility story has a happy ending we know that this one does but not every infertility story has a happy ending so what do you do when your dreams refuse to come through. When you have a desire, and it's a good desire, 
but it will not be realized. What do you do with that? Hannah's story speaks to this. Let's start out in the first verses of 1 Samuel chapter 4. There was a man named Elkanah who lived in Ramah in the region of Zup in the hill country of Ephraim. He was the son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zepf, Zup, Ephraim. Elkanah had two wives, Hannah and Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah did not. Each year, Elkanah would travel to Shiloh. That's where the tabernacle is. He would travel to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of heaven's armies at the tabernacle. The priests of the Lord at the time were the two sons of Eli, Hopni, and Phinehas. So in this world where bearing children was the main status or the main source of status for a woman, that's probably an understatement even. It was the kind of thing for women, having children, where it was the way that a woman felt loved, where she felt important to the family, where she felt like she had a future beyond her years, uh, where she saw you know, not only her children but, but grandchildren and great-grandchildren someday it, who would one day care for her. In that world, Hannah has no children. Her eyes have never looked on the face of her baby. She's held other people's babies. Um, She's never had to change the diaper of a squirming child or never, never gotten to sing a bedtime lullaby to her daughter or her son or dress up her daughter or none of that. And the Lord had given her no children. And her situation we find in her story makes her, and this is so sad, but it makes her a target for ridicule. Husband who loved her very much was no help. Her husband had children. He did not and could not understand what she was going through. And so she brings all of this, all the fullness, into the presence of the Lord. She holds nothing back. Verses 9 to 11. Once, after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. Eli, the priest, was sitting at his customary place beside the entrance of the tabernacle. Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord, and she made this vow. O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime. And as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. And that Nazarite vow there. So her desire to be a mother, not a passing fancy, it is a singular focus of her life. And no doubt she has tried all sorts of things. Home remedies and talked to doctors and all that stuff. Followed the advice of well-meaning older ladies who passed on tips for how to get pregnant quick and all this stuff, and nothing worked. And so the long shadow of her own biological clock is just sapping her hope away. 
So we have a woman who has been praying and praying and pouring her heart out. And one thing I can't help but notice in this prayer that we have recorded, there had to be hundreds of prayers, but in this one at Shiloh is how specific the prayer is. Did you notice that? I mean, you would almost think someone in her situation, God, anything, just, I just want to get pregnant. Even if I don't carry the child to turn, I just, but no, she prays for not just a child, she prays for a boy. And she prays for a boy who will be significant in service to the Lord. That's amazingly specific for someone on this long journey of infertility. And so incidentally, Eli is, is watching her, and he's watching the way she prays. Her lips are moving, and there's so much anguish and passion, but there's no sound coming out of her mouth. By the way, if you've ever wondered, does a prayer count if it's a silent prayer? Yeah, <laughs> it does. It's a powerful prayer, and she never vocalizes anything in the tabernacle but he notices this and he I don't think he's seen anything quite like this and he out loud to her muses that perhaps she is drunk not the most pastoral thing for the priest to say uh, but he does come around he does come around and she tells a little bit of her story and he, she explains to him her prayer, and he blesses her and asks God to answer that prayer. God heard, and he answered the prayer, and she will become pregnant, and she will have a son, and Samuel will be very important for the nation of Israel, will be kind of the spiritual leader through a lot of different seasons and a couple of kings that are coming up. We haven't had any kings yet at this point. And a few things I think we notice about Hannah. I think so many in her situation could have just become so cold and so calloused, spiritually speaking. Just, okay, I'll keep going to church or whatever, but my heart is closed. Done. She wasn't that way at all. She was sensitive to the Lord she seems to see God as her only chance. And her suffering, this is what I love in these stories, her suffering doesn't push her from God, it pulls her toward God. And that's what happens in the life of somebody of genuine faith like this. They just seem to go deeper and deeper in God and the things of God and in love with God and, and the hurts and disappointments of life. They, they aren't creating this distance, this chasm. Uh, they're not diminishing intimacy. They seem with a person of real faith. I'm not trying to judge anyone here, but, but in people of deep faith, moments of struggle seem to create intimacy. And you've seen this, I'm sure, in some people in your family or some brothers and sisters at church even. And so I suspect that her infertility prayers weren't always a promise to give the child back to the Lord. Like, I don't know that that's how they started day one. But she is, over time, calibrating and, and getting more and more into rhythm with a very obvious plan of God. Look, you're going to get pregnant. I mean, God knows this. And your child is going to be very important. 
And, but he's bringing her over the years in line with this really wonderful vision that he has for her. And so over time, her prayers, they're molded and they're shaped and they morph and they become this very singular targeted ask. I want to have a baby boy and I want to dedicate this boy to your service. And somehow this desert experience, and we all have them, The sorrow, it moves her into rhythm with the Spirit of God. It draws her into alignment with the bigger purposes of God because he's planned for her to be a very special mother to a very special boy. Samuel, and this is important to the story, it literally means asked of God. Samuel asked of God. God. And so when she receives her boy, she knows this is an answer to prayer. Asked of God right here in this cradle. (laughs) Samuel. And I see in Hannah this beautiful vulnerability, this beautiful passion. Um, Remember, her lips are moving, but no words are coming out. Uh, She described herself to the priest Eli, I think it's the NIV that says, quote, as a deeply troubled woman. She says, I, Eli, I am a deeply troubled woman. And so when Hannah prayed, she wasn't just mouthing words to the Lord. She wasn't just leaving her outside cares outside. (laughs) She wasn't just praying rote sort of guide, guard, and direct sort of prayers. I mean, when she prayed, she prayed. She poured her heart out before the Lord. Eli wasn't even sure what he was looking at when she was praying. Her prayers were extremely personal ruthlessly honest, just heartfelt prayers to the Lord. And it is not easy to bear your soul, to open up about your hurt, even to the Lord. It's not an easy thing to do. That's the way she prayed. One more thing, um, just notice if you read that story through, you, you see that fasting was part of her journey as well. Um, She would decline to eat at times as part of her focus in prayer. And here in this story, she declined to eat until she received a guarantee from Eli that there had been a spiritual breakthrough. And I have fasted from time to time over the years. I bet a lot of us have. It is a spiritual discipline that is married to prayer. You don't just fast, okay? You don't just, I'm not going to eat today. That's called a diet. Fasting is refusing food or something else, electronics or, you know, coffee, or, but de- denying yourself something that is important to you so that you can pray, so that you can connect to God. And it's a discipline, uh, unfortunately. You know, John Scott, you've been talking about us thinking about something here and we'll we'll bake it out a little bit more but something as a church where we can fast and pray uh, sometime this year 2019 next year i mean but it's a discipline that's kind of fallen into neglect 
and I know Bob and his spiritual journey goes through it some with the guys and stuff, but it's, it's one that over the centuries kind of has fallen into neglect. I mean, we live in such a, a place of plenty. Um, we don't like denying ourselves things, and that's probably why we need to recapture it. Um, anyway, she leaves the tabernacle. She's been fasting. She's been praying. She's been pouring out her anguish. She leaves the tabernacle, and you see this change happen. Really, just like that. I mean, just countenance totally changed. Verses 17 and 18. In that case, so she leaves and there's a peace covering her. In that case, Eli said, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant the request you have asked of him. Oh, thank you, sir, she exclaimed. Then she went back and began to eat again, and she was no longer sad. Is she pregnant here? No. Is she holding her baby? No. But she, remarkable faith. God's heard my prayer. Give me something to eat. I'm feeling better. Uh, She believes she knows that God has heard her cry. And this conviction, it causes her confidence to swell, even after all of these years, and she ends her fast. And that phrase, what a phrase. And she was no longer sad. That's my prayer for a lot of my friends. May God hear your prayer that you will be no longer sad. She hasn't gotten pregnant. Her circumstances haven't changed. But her convictions have. And her faith, we know. There's a happy ending on this one. There's not always. But her faith is rewarded. 1 Samuel 1, 19 and 20. The entire family got up early the next morning and went to worship the Lord once more. So everybody, husband, wives, everybody's going. The children of Penina. They returned home to Ramah where Elkanah slept with Hannah. The Lord remembered her plea, and in due time, she gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, for she said, I asked the Lord for him. And it is, it's a very personal story. I mean, you're talking about one person, and obviously there's going to be huge implications historically, ripples through the history of Israel through Samuel but it is just one person and one journey here. And, but there's something about it that really, it does seem to echo in our hearts. And it goes beyond just her struggle and good for her. I mean, it's an opening, an opening act in, in a great book of great stories for Samuel. And so her story is one of a woman who had been childless, but never prayerless. In her pain, she took refuge underneath the wings of God. And we have to finish tonight with chapter 2. She's got her baby, Samuel. She has literally his name, the answer, the I asked. She's holding it in her hands, and her prayer has very different, okay, as we roll into chapter 2, and we have it written out for us as well. It turns from supplication and sadness to celebration and joy. So let's just listen to her words 
1 Samuel chapter 2. Then Hannah prayed, My heart rejoices in the Lord. The Lord has made me strong. Now I have an answer for my enemies. I rejoice because you rescued me. No one is holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Stop acting so proud and haughty. Don't speak with such arrogance. You've got to think some of this is kind of directed at that other wife. The Lord is a God who knows what you have done. He will judge your actions. The bow of the mighty is now broken. Those who stumbled are now strong. Those who were well-fed are starving, and those who were starving are now full. The childless woman now has seven children, and the woman with many children wastes away. The Lord gives both death and life. He brings some down to the grave, but raises others up. The Lord makes some poor and others rich, He brings some down and lifts others up. He lifts the poor from the dust and the needy from the garbage dump. He sets them among princes, placing them in seats of honor. For all the earth is the Lord's, and He has set the world in order. He will protect His faithful ones, but the wicked will disappear in darkness. Good stuff here. No one will succeed by strength alone. Those who fight against the Lord will be shattered. He thunders against them from heaven. The Lord judges throughout the earth. He gives power to His King. He increases the strength of His anointed one. Just another honest prayer. And you may hear those words, you may think, Ah, I don't know about everything she's praying. That sounds a little... That's just an honest prayer. The Psalms are the same way. God's people praying out their concerns and their worries and their spectrum of feelings, just putting it before God. And this, whatever you want to say about it, it is a, it is a prayer of praise. She is celebrating this incredible reversal that she has experienced, and she's looking at it in terms of kind of her orbit there in her household. And in seasons of life, all of them, from the winter of infertility to the spring of childbirth, she is a person of prayer, right? When she is depressed, devastated, she prays. When she is overjoyed and celebrating, she prays. And I appreciate that Hannah records her prayers for us all these many centuries later to read and experience. So wherever you find yourself tonight, I can assure you God does remember you. You may feel lonely. You may feel isolated. God does remember you. And may we, like Hannah, go before the Lord in all of the seasons of life to pray and to praise. Let's pray now. Seems only appropriate, Father, to come before your throne tonight. I thank you for this 
great woman of faith. A faith that does not turn loose of you even when her spirit is just shattered and alone and terribly sad. But she she continues turning to you and God, I pray that our hearts and minds will continually turn to you. You nourish us. You feed us. Your Spirit is the one who not only gave us life, but gives us a reason to live. And Father, I'm thankful for the example of someone who takes the most precious blessing from you and instead of holding on, turns it right back to you. Not only allows her son to be a blessing to the nation, but she even asks for that before he's even born. May we not just hold on to the great blessings and gifts that you shower on our lives, but may we, whether they're financial, whether they're relational, whether they're uh, talent and gift-related or opportunity-related, may we take those gifts and blessings and may we turn those right around and give them back to you. And when we experience a turnaround like Hannah, when we see your hand move powerfully and directly in our lives, perhaps after years of praying and disappointment, may we, like Hannah, name it. I asked. May we lift that up for others to see so that they might also see your power and your grace. Thank you for this church, Lord. Thank you for all that you're doing in our lives as individuals, as families, and as a spiritual family as well. And Father, I know there are many that are hurting. We all have contact with different members of the body here, uh, some of whom aren't even, even able to get here physically to be with us right now, and it's a struggle. And I pray that you will pour out some measure of this faith, and this patience, and this grace that we see in this story, that you'll pour that into the lives of those folks and that they can see an answer very soon to their prayer. We know they're precious to you and they are precious to us as brothers and sisters. We give you thanks tonight and we pray in the name of our most special gift, Jesus, the one who saved us, the one who set us free the one who we call Lord. We pray in his name. Amen. Let's be standing together and let's worship.